0: Aum Asatoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jotir Gamaya Mṛtyorma Mṛtam Gamaya Shantish Shanti 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 Lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness to light, lead us from death to immortality. Oh, peace, peace, peace be unto us, peace be unto all. Friends, the subject for today's service is, are there chosen few? This world is a mixture of good and evil. There are so many inexplicable situations we encounter. The world is a place of uh, enjoyment. It's also a place of misery. It's a mixture of good and evil. Sri Ramakrishna would say, that this world can be said to be a mixture of sugar and sand. We need to separate the sugar from sand from that mixture, and we should be able to partake of the sugar. So, there are so many problems in the world. Life is not that simple, everyone has their own problems. There is happiness, it alternates with misery. That's why Sri Ramakrishna taught that this passing phenomenon called the world a mixture of good and evil is not real. That's what Vedanta also teaches. That's not ultimately real. It's real in that it's perceivable by our senses. But is it really real? Sri Ramakrishna teaches that God alone is real. God alone is the substance. All else is non-existent. Sri Ramakrishna uses the word vastu. God alone is vastu. Everything else is avastu, non-existent. So, there are problems in this world and there are different kinds of people. People with different temperaments. People for whom the world is enough. The bundle of misery and happiness that they get from the world is enough. They don't think of anything higher. And there are people who know that there is something higher. They have heard of it. They have their own spiritual aspiration. But how much they struggle, how much they practice spiritual discipline, that again varies from people to people. And then there are people endowed with more devotion. So there are differences among people. Sri Ramakrishna classifies people into four kinds. The ever free, the struggling, those people who become free, and the fourth who are bound. Sri Ramakrishna gives the example of a fisherman casting a net in a water reservoir. Now as the net is being spread, some fish manage to escape from the net. They escape from getting caught by the net. And out of the fish that are about to be caught in the net or they are into the net, but some of them try to escape. Still, there is a possible a way of escape. And out of these fish who try to escape, some of them succeed. And the others are inside, but there's another group of fish who are deeply buried into the mud, but caught in the net, thinking that they are safe. They're comfortably ensconced in that net, thinking that they're safe, little knowing that one tug from the fisherman will mean end of their life. Sri Ramakrishna gives this example to illustrate. Four kinds of people. They were free. Those rare souls who are born pure who don't get caught in the net of the Maya. The power of Brahman which keeps people deluded into thinking that they are this mind, they are this body. Maya keeps people deluded into thinking that Lasting happiness can be had from finite things in the world. So this first group of people, ever free, don't get caught in the net of Maya. And the second group is people who are trying to escape. They are called the Mumukshus. Mumukshus means those who are desirous of freedom. Mukti, Mumukshu, they all stem from the same Root, which means to be free. So there's a second group of people who try to get free from the entanglement, and out of them some succeed. There's the third group, and there's a fourth group of people who are completely immersed in the world and its cares. And they have faith in their own little ego. They believe worldly prosperity is all to life. It's all because of ignorance. Ignorance of the fact that there is a higher goal of life. Ignorance of the fact that human birth is valuable. There is a higher dimension to human life, human personality, other than the body and the mind. Because of that ignorance, people are so much steeped in their worldly responsibilities, duties, whatever. And they think they're safe, they're well off. So there are the fourth kind of fish, deeply buried into the mud, thinking that they are free. So there are four kinds of people. Now why should there be these disparities in life? Why should people be of varying temperaments If God-realization or self-realization is to give us infinite happiness why not everyone struggles for this happiness? Why should there be people of different kinds? People who are born with a silver spoon? People who are born to misery? Why should there be these disparities? So we have the obvious question, in fact several questions. Are they chosen few? Does God have favorites? Is he some kind of a despot? Who punishes people? Settles course with people? Is he some kind of a capricious ruler? Given to mood swings? Please this moment. Getting cross the next moment. Punishing people. Is he like that? So these are questions which come to our mind. That is, in the minds of people who believe in a God, when they see so many disparities in life, inexplicables going on in life, they think, is there a God at all? That is the first question. So most people don't care for a God. Swami Vivekananda says, I won't care for a God who promises me happiness in heaven, but doesn't take care of me here in this world. That stands to reason. If God is there, God is to take care of us here. And in the thick of misery, it appears that God has forsaken us. So we have questions. Is God a mute witness to our sufferings? How does he help us? And is God responsible for all our actions? Nothing moves without the will of God. We heard that. If everything moves by the will of God, whatever bad happens to me, whatever bad things I do, also should be inspired by God. So there are several such questions. So we'll try to examine Some of these questions today There is a wonderful verse In the Bhagavad Gita It says Among thousands of people A few struggle for freedom Liberation Among thousands of such people A few Know God In reality That's how rare Is spiritual life And how rare is Success for those who attempt spiritual life. This again a paradox. Why should God be partial? Are some people endowed with some special capacity? Has God showered his blessings on some people? Again the question, are there chosen few to God? Why shouldn't everyone take to spiritual life? So is God partial? Vedanta says God is not partial God is impartial God is all love God is all blissful There can be no negative trait in God He is not a ruler Over beings Given to mood swings And he doesn't punish people That's what Vedanta says Now to understand these things a little more Is God really responsible? We need to first examine our definition or understanding of God. What is God? God is a superhuman being sitting somewhere beyond the clouds, ready to bless us if we live a moral life, or ready to punish us if we go astray. That is the common attitude toward God. We are constitutionally constrained to think of God as a superhuman being. Swami Vivekananda says, If cats had philosophers, and if there was a question, what is God? The philosopher cat would say, God is a super cat, beyond the clouds, He will bless you with all boons if you behave. And he will punish you with a rod in hand if you go astray. Similarly, if cows had philosophers, what is God? God is a great cow, a super cow. The embodiment of all auspicious attributes, ready to confer boons on us, ready to take us to task if we... Stray. Now extend this to human beings. What is God? God is a superhuman being. Has only good qualities. Nothing negative. And God is there somewhere. He'll bless us if we lead a moral life. And if we commit mistakes, if we lead an immoral life, he'll punish us eternal hell and all that. Different religions have different concepts of heaven and hell. As long as we think that we are human beings, we are constrained to think of God as a human being. That's an important spiritual law. We don't like God with form, but we are very much attached to our own form and that of others whom we consider our own. Only God's form seems to be taboo. Vedanta says, it doesn't work out logically. You have to depersonalize yourself before trying to depersonalize God. If your own body and mind grow less real to you, then formless aspect of God will be more appealing. And that's what happens when we grow in spiritual life. Anyway, the point we're discussing here is, what is God? God is a superhuman being repository of auspicious attributes ready to bless us or punish us. That is the idea in most people. But Vedanta teaches that God abides as consciousness in all people. The Devi Mahatmyam or the Chandi has this important verse. Chiti Ya Krishnam Jagat Namastasyei Namastasyai, Namastasi Namo Namaha That Divine Mother Who abides in all beings As consciousness Salutations to her Salutations to her Salutations to her So God abides as consciousness in us Super consciousness Even this consciousness This empirical consciousness I am aware that I am standing I am aware that I am seeing you You are aware that you are listening to me you're not only listening to me, but you're conscious of listening. That is consciousness. When someone touches you, you're conscious. That is empirical consciousness based on sensory perception. Hearing, touching, seeing, smelling, and tasting. But there is what is called superconsciousness. God is that superconsciousness. Consciousness with a capital C. God abides as consciousness in us, and that God does not sleep when we sleep. So when we understand this, it will be easy to understand answers to the questions that we raised at the beginning of this lecture. But that same consciousness, superconsciousness, assumes forms for the sake of devotees. Those forms are not unreal. Swami Vivekananda gives a beautiful teaching Personal God is the highest reading of the Absolute by the human mind We are conditioned to see that Absolute In the form of a God that appeals to us I worship Christ, someone else worships Buddha Someone Rama, Krishna, Devi So that Absolute reality appears to me as endowed with form because of my devotion. But that form is not unreal because it represents the absolute. The common example that is given is we look at the sun through different colored glasses black, grey, blue, brown and we say the sun is black, sun is brown, sun is blue, sun is green but it is the same sun. Seen through our glasses, seen through our instruments. So the blue sun is as real as the green sun, as real as the black sun or the brown sun. Because it is the same sun. That is why Sri Ramakrishna taught that all forms are real. Divine forms. And some forms are eternal. But those forms have as their basis consciousness. So consciousness that is God... God abides as consciousness in all of us. I am trying to dwell on this a little more, since comprehension would be better when our concept of God undergoes refinement. Answers to these questions seem to fall in place. So God abides as consciousness and Vedanta teaches That our empirical consciousness now, when it is completely refined of its attachment to mind, body and objects in the world, that consciousness with a small c becomes consciousness with a capital C. We become one with that supreme consciousness, which is called Brahman, Parabrahman, Atman, all these words are used. And God. We usually use the word God. When it refers to his projection, sustenance, and dissolution aspect. So, God abides as consciousness. Let's keep this in mind. And it's because of God that we live, it's because of God that we think, that we act. So, let's keep this at the background and then examine the questions that we saw just now. Is God partial? Does he have chosen few? The Gita makes it very clear. Ninth chapter, 29th verse. I am the same to all beings. That means I am equally disposed toward all beings. To me there is none hateful or dear. But those who worship me with devotion, they are in me and I also in them. This is a very important teaching. And when Shri Krishna says I, it doesn't mean just the form of Krishna, God. When Sri Krishna says I, it refers to the Atman. It refers to his true self. That consciousness, supreme consciousness. I am equally disposed toward everyone. I have no objects of hatred. I have no objects of love. But those who worship me with devotion they abide in me and I abide in them. So it's good to keep this important teaching in mind. Those who worship me with devotion, they abide in me and I abide in them. Shri Shankaracharya gives a beautiful commentary on this important verse. Fire gives you warmth. Provided you move close to it. It won't do to just say fire gives you warmth and you are away from fire. That doesn't help. Fire gives you warmth. That's a hypothesis for us, let's assume. But we can derive that warmth only when we approach fire, move close to fire. Similarly, God bestows his grace on everyone. Fire gives warmth. But we need to move close to God to be able to be aware of that grace. So God bestows his grace on his devotees who move closer to him. Closer to him means away from what? Away from the world. Away from worldliness, We are all in the world. We don't retreat from the world somewhere else. We continue to live. We continue to think. We continue to go about our responsibilities in the world. But we try to turn the mind toward God. Instead of being attached to finite things, other bodies in the world, considering them to be our own. I and mine my little eye, based on my identification with my mind and body, and mine, these are my people, these are my possessions. That's what is common. So instead of that, trying to think of God, trying to move closer to God, and going about our responsibilities gives us that warmth, that spiritual warmth of the divine fire. Those who worship me with devotion, they abide in me and I also abide in them. So God doesn't have favorites. He doesn't have people to hate. He doesn't have people to love. But we need to worship him with faith and devotion. That's all he needs. Now, is God responsible for our actions? If God is responsible for all our actions, good and evil... Especially evil, that gives some kind of a solace to us, some kind of a psychological satisfaction. Oh, I'm not responsible after all, God. Vedanta says, God is responsible for both good and evil, but not in the sense you understand. Without God, nothing can happen. But God himself is not attached to any of these actions. Shri Krishna makes this point very clear in the Gita. The Lord does not create for the world sense of agency, that is, I am the doer, that sense of ego, or when that gets attenuated a little, I am an instrument in the hands of the Lord. And when devotion is mature, you feel it's God who is acting through your body and mind. So there are different degrees of this sense of agency, how we do our work. So Shri Krishna says, God doesn't determine this agency. God doesn't determine our actions, what kind of actions we get to do. God doesn't bring about the union of fruits of our actions with our actions. Karma with Karma. Every act will yield its fruit. God doesn't determine which karma will lead to which fruit. It's nature that does all this. Subhavastu pravartati Nature means prakriti. Everything other than the spirit. From mind, body, downward. At the individual level. And at the universal level. The cosmic mind and the cosmic body, which is the universe. So it is Prakriti that does all this, Svabhava. God doesn't do all this. God doesn't determine what kind of work I get to do. God doesn't determine what kind of pay I get, what kind of boss I get, what kind of peers, what kind of subordinates, what kind of spouse, what kind of children. A happy family or a broken family, God doesn't determine. That's a bold teaching. Shri Krishna says God doesn't determine our actions. But just now we saw, without the will of God, nothing will happen. How do we reconcile both? Without the will of God, even a blade of grass cannot move. That's true, we have heard that. So in our heart, we know the truth of that statement. But the Gita says, God doesn't determine what kind of actions we do. The sense of agency with which we do that action. Are the fruits accruing because of any action? What fruit accrues to which karma? In the Puranas, in India... It's common conception that people think that after they leave this body they'll go to the abode of Yama, the king of death and Yama has an assistant Chitra Gupta, the Chitra Gupta is supposed to maintain a big database of the actions and thoughts of everyone, what kind of punya merits or papa demerits. This person has done. So when we show up at Yamasa board, he asks his assistant to check what are the good deeds that this person has done, what are the bad deeds that he has done, she has done and based on that he consigns them to heaven or hell. So this concept of heaven or hell is there in every religion. As long as we are human beings, some kind of this concept of heaven and hell is inevitable. But Vedanta says, there is no Chitragupta to maintain accounts, to maintain your database. It's all maintained in your own mind. Prakriti. All our actions and thoughts leave their impressions which are stored in the mind. The place called Chitta storehouse of impressions. There is no human hand involved in this. There is no computer, there is no ledger. For people who cannot receive better ideas, this idea is alright. Until they keep them on leash. Do well, you will be alright. It's the same concept. If I behave well, God will bless me. Otherwise, he'll punish me with a rod in hand. Vedanta says, God doesn't settle scores with you, and no one is recording your actions and thoughts somewhere beyond the clouds, but they're recorded right inside your own mind as impressions, samskaras. So the Gita teaches: so it's these impressions, our mind, the samskaras which make us act in a particular way good action or bad action, moral or immoral But without the will of God, nothing happens. That's also true So how to reconcile both? Sri Ramakrishna helps us with a beautiful example You have a lamp and with the help of the light of that lamp someone studies a scripture, someone else does something bad, forges a document. Now both these actions are possible only because of the light of the lamp. And it's also true that neither of these two actions affects the light. The light is the basis, the light is the substratum on which both these actions take place. Like, the screen in a cinema house is a substratum on which the movie takes place. We watch the movie. The movie is so real. It occupies our whole being. We laugh with what happens in the movie. We cry with what happens in the movie. But at the end of it, we understand that only the screen was real. Just as that screen is a substratum on which a movie takes place, God as consciousness is a substratum on which all our mental and physical actions take place. So that way, without the will of God, nothing happens is understood. Though God is the substratum, we have a little will of our own, that individual will which helps us grow in morality. We have a choice every moment of our life to do it this way or that way, to be good or bad, or intermediate, moral, immoral, or following something to the letter, flouting it in spirit. All this is possible because of our own self-will, because of that sense of responsibility. And that responsibility also makes us bear the consequences of our actions. So the Gita teaches that it's prakriti which is responsible for our actions. Nature. And by nature is also meant our inner nature, the mind. By prakriti, nature, we need to clearly understand in Vedanta, nature does not mean some Natural scenery is outside. Everything other than that capital C consciousness, the Atman, falls within the domain of nature. My mind falls within the domain of nature, body within the domain of nature. Only the Atman is beyond nature. So it's nature which does everything. Prakriti, which is composed of the three gunas, that's responsible for our actions. But the egotistical one thinks that he is the doer, teaches the Gita. Ahankara Bimodhatma Karta Hamiti The fool, the egotistic fool thinks that he is the doer. That's because the person has mistakenly identified his. I, with the mind and the body. So we have the little will, self-will of our own which makes us responsible. And it is that self-will which makes us reflect on our actions, on the motive. It is that self-will which helps us exercise the power of discrimination it's again that which helps us practice spiritual disciplines and grow in self culture. So it's nature which does all, the gunas of nature. And by nature, for our understanding, is meant our inner nature, the composition of our mind, the sum total of the impressions that we have gathered through our actions and thoughts. That's nature. That does everything. That sum total of the impressions explains what we are, why we are what we are. The answer lies there. Why identical situations have to be faced in different ways by different people? The difference in samskaras, the theory of karma or the theory of samskaras. Every action we do, every thought we think, leaves an impression. Every conscious thought, every conscious action leaves an impression. So obviously, whatever we think or do in our dreams, don't leave any impression, Because they are not volitional actions, but they are prompted by our samskaras. We don't consciously think them, we don't consciously do any action in a dream. It's some kind of a passively witnessing something being played out in front of us. So dream actions and dream thoughts don't leave impressions. It's only the waking state that is the most important of the three states, waking, dream and dreamless sleep. So what we do, what we think in the waking state is the most important. So every thought and every action leaves an impression in our mind and we have gained such impressions over so many lifetimes, teaches Vedanta. Not just so many years in this life, but after so many lifetimes. And the sum total of these impressions determines our character. You can study this in detail in Swami Vivekananda's first lecture on Karma Yoga. Karma in its effect on character. So the sum total of our impressions is our character. That accounts for what we are. That accounts for the differences in birth. And these impressions continue to abide in the mind even after the death of the body. The journey continues. The I, that is consciousness associated with the mind, that individual, continues his or her journey until it is time for the next embodiment, next body. And this journey continues birth, death, birth, death until we know that we are the spirit when we are no longer attached to the mind and the body. So these impressions determine what we are and we have the freedom to augment the stock of good impressions. If a person is bad, Despite knowing that it is bad to be bad, it's because of the power of his bad impressions. He is a victim of his bad impressions, gained from bad actions, bad thoughts. Similarly, a person can be good in spite of himself or herself. Too good to be able to say no when a situation demands So we can be prisoners of bad impressions or good impressions. But this theory of impressions, theory of karma, is far from fatalism. We are not helpless creatures of destiny. Destiny again is nothing but the sum total of our impressions. I have my destiny. That means my accumulated impressions. Destiny is not some again some kind of a despotic ruler sitting somewhere meeting out justice punishment to people My destiny means my sum total of impressions That's responsible for what I am now It doesn't make me fatalistic because if my past is responsible for my present my present will be responsible for my future This point cannot be emphasized enough So this theory of samskaras is a great incentive for self-development. Swami Vivekananda says take the whole responsibility upon yourselves say this misery that I am suffering is of my own doing and that very thing proves that it will have to be undone by me alone. That which I created I can demolish that which is created by someone else, I shall never be able to destroy. Therefore stand up, be bold, be strong, take the whole responsibility on your own shoulders and know that you are the creator of your own destiny. All the strength and succor that you want is within yourselves, therefore make your own future. Let the dead past bury its dead. And elsewhere, Swami Vivekananda teaches, the wind is blowing. Those vessels whose sails are unfurled catch it and go forward on their way. But those which have their sails furled do not catch the wind. Is it the fault of the wind? Is it the fault of the merciful father whose wind of mercy is blowing without ceasing day and night whose mercy knows no decay? Is not his fault that some of us are happy and some unhappy? We make our own destiny. So that's a very important teaching. Self-effort. There is no substitute for self-effort. If we have to be good, we should choose to be good. If we have to be spiritual, we should choose to be spiritual. We should have a spiritual goal and order our thoughts and actions in accordance with that goal. There is a beautiful teaching in the Kato Upanishad. The Upanishad that was very dear to Swami Vivekananda. He encouraged his disciples to commit this Upanishad to memory. Kato Upanishad. The Upanishad that features the dialogue between the king of death, Yama, and that brilliant boy, Najikethas. You have a wonderful verse in the Kato Upanishad which teaches this Atman cannot be attained by the study of the Vedas, or by intelligence, or by much hearing of sacred books. It's attained by him alone whom it chooses. To such a one, Atman reveals its own form. Now, in the devotional school, the interpretation for this particular important verse is, it's revealed to him or her by God's grace. Anyone on whom God's grace falls will realize God. That's the devotional interpretation, which is true. Because we cannot say with so many years of spiritual practice, repetition of the divine name, meditation, we will be able to realize God. Our own effort is not adequate, but our effort is necessary. Swami Vivekananda gives a wonderful interpretation of this verse in the Kathopanishad. When he spoke at Thousand Island Park, inspired talks, There he says, I'll repeat what the Upanishad says, This Atman cannot be attained by the study of the Vedas or by intelligence or by much hearing of sacred books. It's attained by him alone whom it chooses. To such a one, Atman reveals its own form. Swami Vivekananda says, Whom the self chooses is true. Election is true. But explain it as an inner experience. As an external and fatalistic doctrine, it's horrible. Whom the Atman chooses means, who is the Atman? Does the Atman sit somewhere in the clouds? You are the Atman. Whom the Atman chooses means, you are the chooser. You are not the chosen. God doesn't choose you. But you choose to be spiritual. You choose to realize God. That is self-effort. That's what Swami Vivekananda says here. Whom the self chooses is true. But explain it as inner experience. That means I choose. I choose to be spiritual. I choose to be moral. I choose to be good. If I don't do that, even if God chooses, nothing is going to happen to me. Self-effort. That's why Swami Vivekananda says elsewhere, If you have faith in all the 330 million gods and still don't have faith in yourself there is no salvation for you. Faith in God to become meaningful needs to be bolstered up by faith in ourselves. God is, the Atman exists, all that is okay. But what do I do about it? I let Atman alone, let Atman leave me alone. What do you do about it? The Atman is my true nature, infinite bliss is my true nature. What do I do about it? I try to follow the teachings given by scriptures, given by those who have realized God, realized the Atman and try to follow it. And that following, practice of spiritual discipline, with some regularity, is possible only if I have faith in myself if I don't have faith in myself, my higher self, if I don't practice self-effort, my faith in God is absolutely meaningless. That's why Swami Vivekananda made bold to say elsewhere, the old religion said that those who don't have faith in God are atheists. But the new religion says, That those who don't have faith in themselves are atheists. Because we deny our own higher self. Taking this body, this mind, our petty ego to be real. We deny our higher self. So self-effort. Self-effort is indispensable. That's what Swami Vivekananda says. You yourself are the chooser. And to you, the Atman will reveal itself. Right now the Atman is potential. So we need to choose. God doesn't choose. God doesn't have chosen few. Swamiji makes it very clear here. God doesn't determine why some people see God. Why most people are happy with the world. God doesn't determine that. Then why not everyone struggles to attain God? There's no answer. That's Maya. At any given time there can only be a microscopic percentage of people who see God. And among them, a few who are able to know God in reality. Does it make us pessimistic? Such a great challenge. Only a few among so many people. A spiritual seeker doesn't become pessimistic. A spiritual seeker thinks that I belong to one of those few who seek God and I will be one of those who will know God in reality. That's the right attitude for a spiritual aspirant to take. I belong to that minority. Oh, only so few people can realize God. What is it to me? No, you are one of those few. That's against self effort I am a child of God. I can realize God. That kind of a faith. That will prompt us to self effort. This teaching of self effort you find everywhere. Without self effort, nothing is going to happen. Shri Krishna teaches in the Gita, sixth chapter Uddharet, Atmana, Atmanam. Uplift yourself by yourself, uplift your mind with the help of your buddhi. That's what is the commentary. So self effort is indispensable. Sri Ramakrishna says, "Unfold the sails. That's what we saw in Swami Vivekananda's words. He amplified what his master taught him. Those boats in which the sails are unfurled derive benefit from the wind velocity. And those boats which don't have their sails unfurled don't benefit by the wind. Similarly, teacher Sri Ramakrishna, God's grace falls on everyone, but those who struggle by spiritual practice, by prayer, they become aware of God's grace in their lives. So God is not partial. God doesn't have chosen few. God blesses everyone. Fire gives warmth to everyone, but we need to move close to fire. Fire. God is gracious just repeating that won't do anything just repeatedly saying food, food doesn't appease our hunger this also from Sri Ramakrishna's teachings we need to procure the foodstuffs cook a meal and partake of it just saying food, food doesn't help appease our hunger So self-effort, we need to unfold the sails. And Sri Ramakrishna says, you take one step toward God, God will take ten steps toward you. Let God take the first step, let me see. God doesn't care. God lets you be happy where you are, completely happy with the world, miserable most of the time, if that's what makes you feel happy. God lets you be. The mother lets the child play with its toys. Busy attending to her work. The moment the child is done with the toys, finds the toys insipid, throws away the toys and cries for its mother. The mother comes running, takes the child on her lap and begins to nurse the child. Wonderful example which Sri Ramakrishna gives to illustrate the fact that God lets us play as long as we want. As long as we are happy with the toys of the world, both animate and inanimate, God lets us be. Be happy with whatever makes you happy. But when you want me, I am there. Fire is there. Once again, that verse from the Gita, I am equally disposed toward everyone. Everyone. I have no objects of hatred, no objects of love but those who worship me with devotion abide in me and I in them. So the challenge is that we need to take that first step toward God. That first step involves spiritual practice, regularity in that, trying to follow the teachings of great ones as sincerely as possible. So self-effort is indispensable in spiritual life. And by self-effort, we choose ourselves to be recipients of God's grace. Otherwise, God is not going to choose us. God is going to let us play. As long as we are happy with the toys. Sri Ramakrishna says, red toys of the world. When we are happy with the toys, the mother is busy... With the kitchen, letting the child play. So self-effort is important. Now we'll see what are the different forms of self-effort that are possible. But before that it's good to consider an important teaching of Sri Ramakrishna about the self-effort. He makes it clear that unless we exercise some of our will in the right direction we don't get more strength Sri Ramakrishna gives the beautiful example of a cow which is tied to a post and this cow can either stand close to the post or stand farther from the post and graze the grass that is in the area of the circle or you can just keep quiet that much freedom is there for the cow it's not fully free to just run away it's tethered to that post but there is some freedom Sri Ramakrishna says a man ties a cow with idea let her lie down stand or move about Wherever she wills within that area Similarly God has given man Some power And he has also given freedom To use as much of it as he likes And in any way That is self effort Or of self will That's why man feels He is free But the rope is Fastened to the post And mark this If anyone prays to him in all humility, he may remove him to another place and tie him there. Or he may lengthen the tether or even remove it completely from his neck. If the practicing of sadhana, spiritual practices, were in the hands of man, all would have undertaken it. But how is it that they cannot? There is however one thing, he does not give one more power if the little that is given is not properly used. This is why individual effort and perseverance are necessary. The more we exert ourselves, the more we are able to be aware of God's grace guiding our lives. So among these different forms of self-effort, the first and foremost is, Remembering our higher nature That we are this body That we are this mind That we are limited beings We don't need anyone to come and tell us We know that That we are weak That is difficult Swami Vivekananda says Think of the Atman Try to manifest those hidden powers within you Why do you weep my friend? Say Swamiji Why do you weep? In you is all power, the divine power. Manifest the divine power. The whole world will be at your feet. That means instead of becoming a slave to the world, the world becomes our slave. The whole world will be at your feet. That's because it's the spirit that prevails, not matter. So repeatedly thinking about the Atman, I can do it. I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm tall, I'm dark, I'm fair, I'm short. I belong to this country, I belong to that country. These are all body-based ideas. There is no distinction in gender in the mind, only at the bodily level. So Swami Vivekananda says, think of the Atman. I'm the Atman, I'm a luminous being. I'm eternal, I'm pure. So think on that. Think of your Atman and when you manifest that, the entire world will be at your feet. That's because the Atman alone triumphs, not matter. Swami Vivekananda says elsewhere, men are taught from childhood that they are weak and sinners. Teach them that they are all glorious children of immortality even those who are the weakest in manifestation. Let positive, strong, helpful thoughts enter into the brains from very childhood. Lay yourselves open to these thoughts and not to weakening and paralyzing ones. Say to your own minds, I am he, I am he. Let it ring day and night in your minds like a song and at the point of death declare, I am he. That's the truth. The infinite strength of the world is yours. Drive out the superstition that has covered your minds. Let's be brave. Know the truth and practice the truth. The goal may be distant, but awake, arise, and stop not till the goal is reached. That's about having faith in our higher self. But just thinking of the formless doesn't help us much because our own form is very real to us. So we need to worship God endowed with a form knowing that that form is also consciousness. Sri Ramakrishna says that formless, nameless, infinite, Brahman reveals itself as divine forms. It appears to us as endowed with divine forms. Just as water in the ocean is frozen at certain places because of intense cold Sri Ramakrishna teaches that that infinite Brahman, nameless, formless Brahman freezes as it were into divine forms because of the cooling influence of the devotee's devotion So there is an important teaching there Divine forms are consciousness are light through and through Ice is water from core to periphery, though it has a form. So when we meditate on a divine form, this important teaching needs to be kept in mind. We think of the form because our own form is real to us. So hooking the mind to a divine form helps us get rid of attachment to our own form and that of others. But at the same time, we need to think of the formless. Because we need to transcend our own form. So we think of a divine form at the back of which is that infinite spirit. So, worship of God with form is an important spiritual discipline. Sri Ramakrishna says, God is not somewhere out there, He is here, right within you, and He is closer than your closest relatives and friends. Look upon God as your father, God as your mother, someone very close to you. And Sri Ramakrishna says you can talk to him, you can pray to him, you can quarrel with him. You have created me, how can you not reveal yourself to me? Sri Ramakrishna says this in the gospel. It's a close relationship. Our own father, our own mother. So he says we can take liberty with God. What's important is growing in closeness to God. So that kind of a relationship God is someone very close to us That needs to be cultivated And We need to always remember that We are children of that God I am a child of God God is pure I am also pure God is infinite I am also infinite And when we say we are children of God It means we are spiritual children We are children of our father and mother That is, we are physical children, they are our physical parents. But God is our spiritual father, spiritual mother and we are His spiritual children. That means God is that infinite spirit. I am a spark of the divine fire. And God's love as father and mother is infinite too. The love of our own parents pales into insignificance because it's finite. But the mother's love in this world is the highest kind of love, the most unselfish love ever possible. But God's love transcends everything. You find in the lives of the disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, they exclaim, they at the love of Sri Ramakrishna, the love the Master had for them. They said they had not experienced such love from their own parents. That love which made him train these people to realize God and be torchbearers of his mission. Sri Ramakrishna asked his disciple, Niranjan. Later, Niranjan Ananda. If you're going to spend your time in spooks and ghosts, spooks and ghosts you'll become. Because he was a spiritualistic medium. And he asked another disciple if you're going to waste your time like this, when are you going to realize God? With great concern, with great anxiety. And the disciple thought, whether I realize God or not, what is that to him? But with such, such anxiety, eagerness, that love, before which parental love pales into insignificance. So God is all love. God doesn't settle scores with us. God doesn't keep it in mind, oh, she or he has done this, I'll settle scores with them. I'll mete out punishment. That's a very crude idea of God, trying to impose our own human weaknesses on that infinite reality. Which is impartial. So we need to cultivate a relationship with God. And the next thing is, we should be regular with our spiritual practices. Whether the mind wants it or not. The mind won't want it. When the mind doesn't want it, the body is tired. When the body is tired, the mind is also run down. And since we are attached with both, we say, Oh, I'm so tired, we don't need to practice our Japan meditation today. I'll try to make it up tomorrow. But then making up never happens. Not doing today is postponing it to tomorrow, that gives rise to an impression that happens the next day also thinking wistfully that some day will come when I'll try to make up for what I've missed. Only suddenly death will come, nothing else. That's a very unfortunate fact. That's why we need to be regular with our spiritual practices whether our body is well or ill. That's an important teaching that Swami Turiyananda gives quoting his master's teaching May the body and pain take care of themselves. O mind, you will learn to dwell in bliss. Sri Ramakrishna demonstrated this teaching by his life. He was apparently in excruciating pain from his throat cancer. But his mind was always in bliss. It is always rooted in God. He never ceased teaching people the way to God. So Swami Turiyananda later mentions in his teachings, in his letters, be regular with your spiritual practices whether your body is sick or well. Because you are not the body. Your spiritual practice has something to do with your mind and God. Forget the body. So the regularity in spiritual practice, that's a great help in moving close to God, in choosing to be close to God. The next is trying to do work as worship. Work can be a source of bondage if you don't learn how to do work as spiritual practice. Shri Krishna teaches in the Gita, whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you offer in sacrifice, whatever austerities you perform, do it all as an offering unto me. And when you do this, You will escape from the bondage of work You will no longer be affected by the good and evil effects of work How not to gain good impressions How not to gain bad impressions How to become free from good and bad impressions Shri Krishna teaches in the Gita Offer whatever you do All actions, mental, physical Offer everything to God Including the fruits of those actions to God And by this, you will escape from the bondage of work from the good and evil effects of work So doing work as worship is equally important Shri Krishna gives another teaching in the Gita Remember me at all times and fight fight the battle of life trying to cultivate that remembrance, that alertness That consciousness that I am different from the body, different from the mind, even as I go about doing my work, that I am also remembering God. When you understand God as consciousness with a capital C, abiding as consciousness, the more I detach myself from the mind and body, the more I remember God. So remember me at all times and fight. Maam Anusmara Yudhya Fight the battle of life Fight he told Arjuna Because that was his duty But through him The teaching is given to all of us Fight the battle of life Go about our everyday Struggle in this life Remembering God Remembering that we are children of God Remembering that we are the Atman Repeating the divine name There are so many possibilities, but the basic thing is detaching ourselves from the mind and body, not identifying ourselves with the restlessness of the mind, anxiety of the mind, but asserting our independence, choosing to be different from the mind and body. That is self-effort. When we do all this, when we take this first step, Sri Ramakrishna assures us, God takes 10 steps toward you. Because our spiritual progress, or God realization is not proportional to our spiritual practice. Without spiritual practice, it's not possible. But because of spiritual practice, we cannot say, I have done spiritual practice for 10 years. I should have received this much of realization. That doesn't happen. But we can choose to be close to God. When that moment comes God's grace God reveals himself to us So those are A few Steps In the right direction So we'll try to summarize the points that we discussed today There are disparities in people There are problems in the world So the natural question is Does God have favourites? Does God bless some people? Does God punish some people? And we saw from the Gita that God is equally disposed toward everyone. No objects of hatred. No objects of love for him. But those who worship God with devotion abide in God. And God abides in them. And we also saw another important teaching that God is not responsible for our actions, as we would like to understand. If God is responsible for my bad actions also, there is some kind of a solace. God is responsible for our good and bad actions both, just as that light of the lamp is responsible for both reading the scripture and forging a document. But God is detached. But we have still that sense of agency. We have that little will with the help of which we need to assert ourselves. We need to practice self-effort. And the self-effort, Sri Ramakrishna assures us, the more we exert our self-effort, the more will be added to us. But if we don't make use of the freedom, the little freedom that we have been granted, more freedom doesn't come. So self-effort is indispensable. And among self-effort, the first and foremost is remembering our true nature. Because Swami Vivekananda teaches that it is the Atman alone that prevails, not matter. And we should remember, mind and body are also classified in matter. They don't prevail. It is the Atman that prevails. So self-effort, first thing is remembering our true nature, telling ourselves repeatedly, I am the Atman, I am not the body, I am not the mind. I am a spark of the divine fire. The second is cultivating a definite relationship with God. And the third is regularity in spiritual practice. And the last point was doing work as worship. Doing work as worship helps us cultivate detachment from the fruits of action. Helps our mind stay and remain healthy. Without restlessness, without anxiety, without fear born of the uncertainty of outcome that's why shri krishna teaches to work alone you have the right don't be anxious about the result don't be inactive either so doing work as worship is another important point so the answer in a line to the subject of today's services no are there chosen few to god no there are no chosen few to bless there are no chosen few to punish And we should remember that interpretation of Swami Vivekananda on that important verse from the Katoopanishad. The self reveals itself to he whom the self chooses. The self is not somewhere else, the self is me. So I need to choose, I need to be conscious, I need to consciously practice spiritual disciplines to move closer to God. Thank you.